and welcome back to the What the Fork happened this week in association with the Viper Goalkeeping podcast, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, but as many of you know, we normally like to cover a range of football-related topics, but this week's news, as far as today's guest and myself are concerned, and probably the listeners, centres on only one thing, and that's Sunderland have sacked Phil Parkinson. So to join me to discuss everything surrounding Sunderland's next potential appointment and the Phil Parkinson era with two very special guests, First up, we've got Sunland Mad, Sky Sports News presenter, and the best-looking man with a moustache, probably since mm, Freddie Mercury, Tom White. How are you doing? Are you all right? Very well. I'll be a lot better once I've shaved this off, believe me. One more day. One more day. I quite like it. I'm not going to lie. Oh, God. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Tom Selleck. Yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll take that one, Danny. I'll take that. No, it's not a bad, it's not a bad comparison. That yeah, I would take Tom Selleck as well. To be fair, but as you might have noticed, the uh, the next voice is Frankie Francis's best mate, and of course, former Sunderland Player of the Year, Danny Collins. How are you doing? Are you all right? I'm good, Graham. Thank you very much. Yeah, good. Good. I'm enjoying so, that commentary, Danny. I think it's good. You enjoy it. It's really right, good yeah. on the um, on the yeah. SAF scene, and and Frank. Consider, I I don't know if Frankie's ever done commentary before, but he's if he hasn't, he's made a good start. I think he's good. Yeah, no, he said, he said to be fair, he hadn't. I mean, obviously, he does the stadium announcement and, and radio work, doesn't he? But um, no, I think, as you say, he's he's got into it and he's doing well. And um, I think it's it's difficult in terms of we've only got the one camera, really, for, for the games. You know, that halfway line camera, it'd be nice if we had the multi-camera. So I think that's something they're looking to to add in, in the next few weeks, hopefully. So helps for replays and stuff, doesn't it? Different angles and, and what you see, so... Yeah. How come we got like the was it the MK Don? I've totally gone off topic here, but the MK Don's game, dare we remember yeah. it? How did that have all like the angles and stuff like that? Was that because it was picked by TV? Yeah, yeah. so I think the EFL um, picked one game of the day to, to go and do for, for international viewers and things, and we were the the game that day, and it actually worked out quite well because that morning Frankie wasn't feeling too well. If you remember, we'd done the preview show, but he was at home and I was sat next to the pitch on my own, so we were sort of doing it on Zoom as well. Um, but yeah, so it helped that we had the guy from the EFL. They sent the commentator along as well, so he was sat a few seats along from us there. And, uh, and, and as I say, it was better, wasn't it, with the different camera angles as well, as you said. If it wasn't such a bad game, it would have been all right. But one of the games that that <laughs> led to probably to today's podcast, to be fair. But um, we'll kick straight off. I'll, I'll go sort of with you first, Tom. Um, what's your initial reaction to the news that Parkinson was sacked? My initial reaction was I didn't expect it to happen until the, the takeover is done. So my initial reaction was, are we going to get a statement immediately to say the takeover is done? Like when Chris Coleman was sacked, five minutes later, we were told that Ellis Short had gone and Stuart Donald was coming in. And that's what I was half expecting. So um, that, that hasn't happened as yet. I don't think it was... The, the, the fact that he went, I don't think is a huge surprise. I expect him to go when the takeover was done anyway, um, just purely based on the fact that we haven't gone forward since he came in and he's been here long enough. In fairness to him, he did. Every Some fans always talk about how we don't have an identity right, in terms of a style of play. Well, actually, after a while, Parkinson did get one. It just wasn't one that we were particularly happy with um but he did actually get one he had his set formation he he was quite I don't think stubbornness is necessarily always a negative he was quite stubborn with it he believed in himself he believed in his own plans um so there is some sort of praise there 
But I think ultimately it isn't a surprise that we've made the change given where we are in the table and we haven't progressed. Funny, we because we, we obviously chatted when Jack Ross was sacked and we talked about how it felt like the right time to move on and we needed more progression and he got us to a certain point, but we needed to be further. But we've probably gone backwards, I think, Tom, would you say? Yeah, we we have. When Ross went, well, we were at that Lincoln game, which was his last game. Yeah. And it was... Um, I was never entirely comfortable with Jack Ross going. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't furious that he that, that he'd been sacked. I didn't think it was a horrifically bad decision, but I wasn't particularly comfortable that it was the right decision. I think that he would have eventually got it right. Um, this time, I think I am quite comfortable that we do need a change. Like, I think when, when Ross went, we still had quite high expectations as to who might replace him. We were maybe a little bit underwhelmed with Parkinson, which isn't his fault, but he wasn't really on anybody's shortlist. He wasn't on my shortlist. That didn't get him off to a great start. And then on the pitch, we didn't get off to a great start with the exception of beating Tranmere 6-0. Um, we struggled until, until well, just after Christmas. And he never really turned us around. He, he started on a, on a bad note because we didn't really want him. And he never really... He never really won us over on the pitch either. Um, and I think this time, now that he's gone, like when Jack Ross went, our as fans, our expectations are quite high. And given that we, we are told there's an imminent takeover, maybe there is someone, hopefully with a bit of wow factor, that we can get behind and players will too. Well, Pochettino is available, so... If he fancies it, um, Danny, what was what was your reaction to this? And obviously, you've been watching the games, and and you've been, I suppose, essentially part of the club and whatnot. But um, were you surprised after the demeanour maybe around the club recently, or do you think it was coming? No, I think as, as Tom's touched on, I think um, it's a results business as well at the end of the day. And I think if you look at the last month alone, we haven't won um, performances are stale. I think you know, not really. Getting better. If you if you if you're not playing well and you're grinding out results, which we have done it earlier in the season, then you get away with it to some extent. But I think just in recent weeks where performances haven't really been great, and then we're not beating teams, and then we, you look at the table and we're gradually that gap's getting bigger between ourselves and Hull. Um, and you know we're only a quarter of the way through the season, so and then you see what the fans are reacting to on on social media, and I just think that percentage was going up by in terms of the amount of the fans were wanting Partington to, to go. Um, so the pressure sort of built in a way, didn't it? And and as, as Tom's touched on as well, I just think that, you know, in terms of the way Phil Partington set us up, I think he, he as Tom mentions, he's he's got like his, his, his base formation, usually a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3. Didn't come away from that at times where, you know, in games, I think we could have looked at changing the formation. Prime example, last week against Doncaster and Fleetwood on Friday. Um, I think second half it was crying. just change it up, fresh legs on there. Give em, give Elliot Hamilton a bit of a run out for twenty minutes, half an hour. Jack Diamond just a little bit of pace out wide and just go a different route. When they got back to one all, I think I said it on the commentary. I think do we now go and try and kick on? Go be brave, really, if you like, and go and try and win the game, get back on top, or do we just shut up shop, go defensive and think we don't want to get beat to one of our promotion rivals? And I think that's the way we went. And I think. From the fans' point of view, I don't think that's the, the attitude they want to see. They see us as, well, we are a big team in League One. We should be looking at the automatic spots and just oh, the overall 
feeling around the club is that we, we're not quite on the on the right um, page. I think with with what Phil Parkinson was producing and what the fans were wanting to see. So mm. was it a shock that he's gone? Probably not. But at the, the time, and, and again, as as Tom's just mentioned, is the is the takeover a done deal really with with Phil Parkinson leaving? And have they got someone already lined up to come in? Which obviously we'll see in the next few days. Talking about um, Parkinson, just going back to that game against Fleetwood, I obviously sat in the house and watched the game and I found myself flicking towards my phone annoyingly too much recently in, in the second half of games, which is not really like me. But I think I was obviously listening to the commentary and you were saying about maybe going for the game and I was in agreement with that. I thought, you know, maybe bring... I don't think Jack Diamond is, is the next coming of, you know, Lionel Messi, don't get me wrong, but I think he's got something a bit different. It, it's a positive substitution if he made it. And I was annoyed that I'd seen that you said, oh, he's making two subs. I think it was you or Frank, you said, you know, 87th minute, he's, he's making a double change. I thought, yeah. well, at least he's bringing them on at some point. But I was still annoyed then. And when I seen it was Max Power and McFadzi, and I was just like, crikey. Like, that, that to me, it just felt a bit like the, the, the death knell. But then I was more surprised that it happened because I didn't expect the board to sack him, which I suppose, like you say, maybe does indicate that a takeover's on the horizon. Now, must be honest, as, as far as I'm aware, none of us are anywhere near aware if there is a takeover imminent. It would just be a guessing game, I think, at this point. But um, ultimately, Danny, do you think that the decision's been made because there might be something changing on the horizon then? I'd say so, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, people will obviously say about Stuart Donald, you know, they won't get, as much as the fans have been asking for Parkinson to go, I think, um, you know, the, the amount he's going to be paid off. Will Stuart Donald pay him off? No, so he, he more than likely won't get rid of him. But now, as you say, when he's when he's been sacked yesterday, I think it does indicate to me, I could be wrong, but I think people are looking down those roads that they're, you know, I think Jim Rodwell mentioned a few weeks ago that inroads are being made with a, with with a takeover. So how far that is now and is it far off? We all know it's it Kirill Dreyfus who's been mentioned. Is that is that the one? Again, we'll only see it in a few days. Hopefully something gets sorted. And in the meantime, have they got the manager lined up or is it a process of taking their time and, and seeing if they can get the right man? And obviously, I think Andrew Taylor's in charge for tomorrow night's game. Um, but yeah, we need, to, we need to act fast as well while we're still in a position to get back at the teams above us. Um, don't let it drift over the next few weeks, the next few games, because the games are obviously coming thick and fast. So we need to get it sorted as soon as possible while we're still in that pack and still got a good chance of getting back to the likes of Hull and Peterborough. Yeah, absolutely. And the next the next couple of fixtures, the well, the game tomorrow night and the game on on Saturday. I mean, we're you know, we're lost at home for MK Dons, I know that. But these two, whoever was in charge, we should actually be winning the next two games. And because we've only got two points from the last three games, we actually we really have to get six points. I actually think Parkinson probably would have got the six points in the next two games. But we can't have any excuses. Oh, okay, we haven't got a manager. We've got a temporary manager, Andrew Taylor, in charge. We really, really have to win tomorrow night. Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential. Um, regarding the, the, the takeover, Tom, um, like I say, n- none of us know anything more than anyone else, as far as I'm aware. But when it comes to the takeover, there's been a lot of rumours surrounding who's going to be running the club, who's going to be in charge and all this kind of stuff. And I think because of the way that it happened last time with Coleman and, and with um, Jack Ross and Stuart Donald and Ella Shaw, I think there's naturally going to be scepticism no matter who comes in charge, um, unless it's Michael Dell, which he seems to have lost interest. Um, but when it comes to ownership, before we go into management, what, what, do, you need, what do you think some of the need from an owner, uh, uh, someone who's going to be an investor, whatever it may be, what what do you think some of the need 
Tom. Right. The, the, the best, the, what we need, remember that I always, always got slated for it, but always defended Ellis Shaw because the club was always financially going to be safe with him because he was so rich, right? Now, it doesn't, in League One, there's there's a salary cap and you, you can't really spend that much money anyway. So it's not like a, a necessity to have a billionaire owner, but it means that your club is always safe. You're not going to go into administration because it's it's pennies for a billionaire to make sure that we don't. So if we have a billionaire owner as a safety net, he doesn't have to really get involved. When Ellis Short took over, he was a billionaire and he had Niall Quinn running the club. Niall Quinn knew what he was doing. Ellis Short didn't have to get involved. It was perfect. Once Ellis Short started getting involved and Niall Quinn left, Ellis Short didn't really... It's not that he hired the wrong people to, to trust to run the club. It's that he kept getting involved himself and running a football club wasn't his forte. So what I want to see is if the guy Dreyfus does come in, who's got billions of pounds, he can oversee everything, but have somebody running the club like Niall Quinn did. I mean, it's not going to be Niall Quinn. He would obviously be perfect. But I want him to, to him or her to have the money to completely support the club and we're never in any financial trouble, but somebody who knows how to run a club running the day-to-day and can completely take charge, who the owner trusts, the fans trust and has the whole the trust of the whole club. That's what I would like to see. I hate spreading rumours because it's setting you up for a fall. But talking about people coming in charge of the club and overseeing things, there's been a big talk about um, a director of football. And I've, I've heard a little rumour that there's a former, and I'll say it in inverted commas because some people might not agree, legend that isn't Quinna Phillips that has been contacted regarding the director of football. Have, have you heard anything of the like? And do you think it would work, a director of football system? Yeah, the director of football system uh, should work. And if it was someone who knows, if, if, if someone who knows the club comes in, as long as that person has experience of being a director of football or working within a football club, that should work perfectly because he would... Um, I was going to say he or she, but it, it would be a he, I guess. In, in this case, uh, he would know the he would he would know the club, and immediately understand the business side of things as well. So yes, that would work. But let, under Ellis Short, he had a, first of all director of football in Roberto De Fanti, and then a sporting director in Lee Congerton, which is just <clears throat> a different name for sporting director. With with Roberto De Fanti, I'll, I'll tell you now, De Fanti's intentions were very, very good, but sometimes Ellis Short would just change his mind on what he wanted, right? And then Congerton came in, and at first, Congerton was was allowed to run the club, and then again, Ellis Short would get involved and and stop him, and it was and it was that was very frustrating for them that they were trying to run the club. And I think they would have done a good job in running the club. But that billionaire owner had had too much to say. So, yes, the director football system can work. But um, but he, he, whoever the director of football is has to be left to run the club. They have to be given full trust of how to run the club. And they've got to also um, have a good relationship with 
the, the recruitment team is the, the main thing they have to have a good re relationship with. Also the manager, however, he might have to end up sacking the manager at some point. It's more important that he oversees the whole recruitment. He has a transfer philosophy uh, and, and sticks to it and let's hope it works. But if, it, if it's someone who knows the club and knows how to run a club, it should work perfectly. Fingers crossed. I mean, we've, we've heard, well, we've heard names, but I don't want to put anything out there in case I'm completely wrong. But Scandinavian uh, used to be at the club. Uh, I think if the, the, the rumour that I've heard, which we've sort of spoke about off air, is who we think it is, I think that could be quite a good appointment. But Danny, have you ever worked at a club that's had like a director of football above a manager? And, and how does it work for you as a player? Um, not that I'm aware of off the top of my head, but no, as, as you say that, I think it's good that you have that. It's, it's a middleman really, isn't it? That understands the, the business side of it, communicates with the chairman and the directors, but at the same time, understands football, has probably played football and un understands Sunderland as a club as well. Um, if the guy is who I'm thinking you're on about, then that ticks a few of those boxes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I do, I do think it's a, it would be a good appointment to, to bring someone in along those lines and, and just touching on your other points as well, in terms of, you know, if if we do get this billionaire owner that comes in and we can't get excited in terms of him coming in and spending a load of money in January, because as, as Tom's touched on, we've got the wage cap. And I just think for me, at this level, recruitment is more important and I don't think we've quite got it right. I think you've got a shot round, I've said it before, you've got a shot round, try and get the best players at League One level to do the job for us. And I don't think we've quite done that. And you know, I've said it myself, I could name four or five lads who I think could have added to our squad in the summer who were available and, and we didn't bring in. Um, so I think, yeah, as much as it's good to you know have the money coming in, which looking forward, if we do get up to the championship and so on, then it's great. But I just think at the level we're at now, you've got a, you've got a shot rounding. The recruitment is, is key and should have been done better than what we have. There's no point not men not mentioning the name because it, it yeah. poten potential club potential club legend who, who's Scandinavian. I mean, it's it's not Joe Chimbjorkland, it's not Tori Andre Flo. Right, we'll, awesome. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's a good point. Actually, that, sorry, that is a good point. Okay, so th this this ob this obvious choice would be Stefan Schwartz. Stefan right? Schwartz is the the, the, when, the, the when, name I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no i no idea whether that is is true whatsoever. It would make sense with the story in the keep that they'd interviewed director of football, um, English and Scandinavian. That would make sense. Uh, but if it was somebody like Stefan Schwartz, who knows the club and has had experience of running a football club, being a director of football, I would say, firstly, that would be a good choice. The obvious choice, and it, this is not going to happen because he's, he's employed, but if you think of, can you think of a, a former Sunderland midfielder who did very well for us, who is now a director of football and also played for Marseille, where Dreyfus has been involved, is Eric Roy or Eric Rath. He's now the director, he's the director of football at, at Watford. He would have been the, the obvious one, but it's, it's clearly not him because he's not going to leave a Premier League club with very good links to a big Spanish club and a, and a big Italian club as well in, in, in the in the Pozzo family to come to League One. But again, that's someone who would know the club and know how to run a football club. So director of football, sporting director, yes, but I'd like them to meet that criteria. Yeah. Where, where is Stefan at just now? Because I was thinking this yesterday when I was told, because I, I knew, I spoke to him years ago and he was at Benfica, but it was kind of not in any role like that. But I believe he's doing that role at the moment. Does anyone know where he is at the moment? I'm actually, I'm looking it up right now because <clears throat> I, um, 
I don't think Ben Fikri was director of football, though, wasn't he? I don't think that's where he... Um... No, I think he was just helping with like, the... Co- I think he was doing a Danny Collins, as we'll now call it, helping with the commentary and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have Frankie uh, with him, though. I, I, I can't find what he's doing at this specific moment in time, but he has been involved in the... Um, you know, at the administration of a football club. Yeah, I thought I thought he had as well. Um, moving, oh, he, definitely, so, oh, he, de- he definitely has. He definitely yeah, has. I thought he had. Um, moving away ever so slightly because I've probably gone down a rabbit hole far too quickly. But um, we'll assess the Parkinson era ever so slightly. We will put ourselves through it. Um, I'll come to you, Danny. But um, when he was originally appointed, could you understand the rationale behind it? I think if they were looking at. Um, what should I say? Not safe hands in terms of this league. You look at his record and people will say, oh, he's had promotions. He's got team, you know, Bradford, I think, and, and Bolton done the job and got them out of this league. So I think they were looking at someone who sort of knows the lower leagues and has done a job on his CV. He's got a couple of promotions. So we'll go down that route. Um, and as, as, as we said earlier, it didn't quite, you know, when you bring the new manager and you get that bit of a bounce, the lads get a bit of a lift if they've been out the team. The levels go up in training. I think we won two of the first 12 games, didn't we, when he came in? So it, di- it didn't happen. And then we had that spike where we, around Christmas time, I think it was Doncaster away, where we, we win there and then we go on a good run. Everyone gets our hopes up. We get excited. We get to the edge of the playoffs. And then just before lockdown, then, then four games, um, we, we blew it really, didn't we, to, to not make it into the playoffs. So um, it was sort of an up and down period for him. Um, and then again, we start this season, and we've got off to a really, a, a relatively decent start, I'd say, in terms of results. Although, again, I, I'm not, I'm not been com- convinced in terms of performances. I think we've, we've stumbled our way through, stuttered our way through, through games. We've, we've played well uh, in, I say, Charlton. Uh, I think Doncaster for half an hour or so. But you know, when you're looking over 12, 13 games, and you're trying to pick out oh, where have we played well, and you can't really off the top of your head think we've been consistent and played well. Does that then reflect on the manager and his and his style of play? Then possibly it does. Um, and then you, when you look deeper into to other things as well, where it's sort of snowballed for me, I think in recent weeks, nothing against Remy Matthews, but why has Lee Birds come out of the team? I think people have mentioned, oh, he's had an ankle injury, but I've asked, I've asked one or two, and everyone said he's, he's fine. He hasn't missed a day's training. So I think Lee Bird's had six clean sheets out of ten, and he's obviously his number one goalie at the start of the season. Yet why has he come out of the team? Then we've got Luke O'Nine goes in playing left centre half, and we've got fit centre halves sat on the bench. Again, it's all right if you're winning games, but when you when you start losing games, then it gives people ammunition to to come at the manager. You know. Um, and then again, everyone's favourite subject is substitutions. You know, why, why, why don't we bring substitutions on before seventy minutes? I know you can say sometimes you don't need to bring subs on if everything's going well in the games and you win in and you coast in. You can just see the game out. Perhaps a manager thinks we've got a lot of games. I don't need to bring subs on. But then, when we're watching games and you can see it's crying out at times for some fresh legs, if the ball's not sticking up top and there's a bit of pressure, you know, the, again the Doncaster game second half. You know, the ball wasn't sticking with Charlie White. Just change it, you know. You could see the pressure building. I don't think Doncaster were doing anything great in the game, but it was just that momentum. You could feel it that they were going to get one or two chances and it came about. And then, you know, we only made one or two substitutions. And then, again, it gives the fans ammunition to say, why didn't he freshen the game up? So it's just a, a few things that come about in terms of 
his, his time at the club, I think. But uh, again, as Tom mentioned, if he, he's perhaps a little bit of an old school manager, he's got his his base, what he likes to work from, his formations, and his, he likes the senior players as well. When one or two have been asking, why won't he give a, you know, Jack Diamonds, Elliot Embleton coming back in, Dan Neal, give one or two of these lads a, a run in the team if the senior lads aren't quite doing it. And we haven't been in recent weeks, have we? No, not at all. And it's all right when you're winning games. I was all right winning 1-0 and playing badly because I'm always happy with that. But I think when the results start turning, then things have to change. And I think I think if you're complaining when we're winning, I don't like that. But it, then if the results and the performances are both bad, then yeah, you've got to start looking at freshening up, maybe changing your style of play. I want to touch on something quickly, Danny, as well. Um, mainly as a former player, um, I noticed last night when the announcement came on Sunday's Twitter account, there was a few former Sunderland players had given it a like, one of them being Bolo's ending, um, the other one being Barley Mumba, which I think many people noticed, and Alan Ozturk. What does that say for a manager when two of his former players have like liked the Instagram? Is there something you would do? Would you have to feel incredibly strongly about it? Uh, no, I don't think I don't think players should get involved in that personally. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't myself, and I'm only doing the commentary. I think uh, sometimes you show, have to show a little bit of respect to the manager, whether you got on with them or not. Now, obviously, Allen's left the club. I think he may be a little bit bitter. He might have felt that he could still offer the club, and he would have been looking for a contract. And so, with Bally Mumba as well, uh, didn't perhaps get the opportunities he would like under this manager. So, you know, it's their opinions at the end of the day, and. If they've liked it and people have jumped on that, that's that's fair enough. But no, I just think you don't need to perhaps get involved in that sort of stuff. And then you'll get one or two who are on social media voicing their opinions on who should be the next manager coming in as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure we'll get onto that, won't we? We will. Yes, there's a I've been looking at the the favourite list on Skybet just to keep Tom happy. Um <laughs> One thing I wanted to sort of mention, I'll go with you, you as well, Tom. We're talking about the Parkinson era, and I think, you know, we spoke about it at the time that it happened by, uh, when I was with Walker Report, and you came up with some interesting names, but none of them were. None of them were Parkinson. I don't think anyone's was, and it was a bit like, I think it was about as welcome as a fart and lift at the time, if I'm completely honest with you. Um, but one of the big things that happened immediately, and I don't think it's worked out, I think the fact he's been sacked says everything, um, but the situation with Aidan McGeady has, maybe rightly or wrongly, hindered his time at Sunderland. Um, what did you make of his handling of the situation with Aidan McGeady? Uh, well, well, by the way, that Stephen Schwartz thing, I've completely made that up. He's never been director of football anyway. Has he not? I don't, I don't know, I don't know I thought he had. I thought he had. <laughs> so, but my, my, point still, my, my point still stands about the criteria of the director of football. That, that still stands, but, but I... I've made that up, or I certainly can't find anything on the internet about it. Sources <laughs> um, that, mate, and that's Sky sources. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> never trust them if they come from me. Um, <laughs> the with, with McGeady, what I was told when Parkinson got the job is that he didn't like big characters. He didn't like big personalities, which isn't unusual because I was told that about um, about Gareth Southgate when he got the England job, which is why. Rooney was no longer involved. Joe Hart was no longer involved because he didn't like the big personalities. And I think that is what happened with McGeady and Parkinson, whereas Jack Ross was seemed to be a good people person, was able to get the best out of his players regardless of... of if the, And I don't know if Aidan McGeady is difficult at all, all right? But if, if any player is difficult, Jack Ross seemed to know how to get the best out of them. Just like, I mean, the master of it was Sam Allardyce. 
he used to, I mean, oh. he got the best out of Ravel Morrison and Sir Alex Ferguson couldn't do that, right? Um, and it looked like from, from what I've been told from people who have had Parkinson as their manager is that with, with, with McGeady, he wouldn't have liked that type of, of character. And also when you have a style of play, which is quite rigid, and again, not against that at all, um, where does McGeady fit into a rigid uh, system? He needs some freedom. We used to, in a, in a 4 2 3 1, he used to play on the left, but he could go anywhere. And, and people would just drop in and cover him because he was so good. That wouldn't work. And we can see that that wouldn't work under, under Parkinson's tactics. Going out on loan in January last year to Charlton, that it made sense if Parkinson didn't want him, gets at least some of his wages off and goes out on loan and goes in the summer. But he didn't go in the summer. So, it, at least let him train, let him train with treat him like an adult. I mean, he's he's a, he's about thirty four or thirty five. Treat him like an adult. Let him train with the first team and, and see how he does. I can't see how he could be that toxic and that poisonous that if he trained with the first team, he'd turn them all against the manager. Um, and I don't believe that Aidan McGee is the answer to our problems. By the way, um, but I don't really like the way he's treated him as a person as opposed to a player. You, I, I don't think any player should just be ban, banished to the, whatever, wherever he's been banished to, the under-18s or something, especially when we're still paying him. It's not like if he trains with the under-18s, we don't have to pay him. If he, if we're paying him, let him, let him train, let him shine. Let's see if, let's see how good his attitude is. And although I'm not on the training ground, so I can't see what his attitude's like, I don't really like the way he's, he's treated him as a person. Um, let alone a player. I think it was McGeady as well, because McGeady's definitely part of the squad, which I find really interesting, especially with them coming back within the 23s of the week, which seemed weird at the time. Now, I feel like things align a little bit, but he's definitely part of the squad. He just wasn't given a number, um, which I assume it would, have been, would be insurance. It would have been, well, there's no, there would have been no reason to, to not register him. I mean, yeah. that would have been, even if Phil Parkinson didn't register him, the secretary would have been, um, would have been foolish to not just stick his name down if there was space for him. It, I mean, the secretary should have just added his name um, because he's <laughs> he's because um, because he can be registered. Uh, whether I think, by the way, I think him playing for the under twenty threes was just to get him fit to, to leave in January. By the way, that's that's what I would imagine, but that could be completely different now, of course. With, with McGeady, Danny, um, he's got I think six months left on his contract, so. Obviously, there's going to be calls on McGeady coming back in. I think there's been a bit of a war between Parky and McGeady, and, and you, you choose your side when either fans and McGeady wins overwhelmingly because he's created many more better memories for Sunderland fans than, than Parky has, and that's a simple fact. Um, but he's got six months left on the end of his contract. Uh, he's probably not going to be sold for any money if he goes in January. Would you put him back on the side for six months? And if he does well, then you say, brilliant, there's a new one-year contract. If he doesn't do very well, he's contracts up anyway. Would you just put him straight back in? Yeah, so I think, obviously, looking at the, the big picture now, when when they've had their fallout or their discussions and, and people are saying, oh, has he been a bad egg around the, the changing rooms? And, you know, I've, I've been at clubs myself where when things aren't going well at a club and you do get little clicks and one or two whispers around the training ground, now, as I say, we don't know. We, we get to see the 90 minutes on a Saturday. We don't get to see the day in, day out of what goes on in the changing rooms. Now, whether one or two of the lads have said something to, to Phil Parkson that Aidan's been a bit 
bit negative around the place and stuff and, and whether they've had a chat and then he's took him out. But uh, yeah, he's not the first player who will have been to train with the 18s or the 23s. Um, but as you say there, now whether whether he's the type who, if, is he going to sulk? And then if he goes to train with the first team and he tosses it off, and, then fair enough, get him, go and train with the 23s or the 18s. But if he comes over and he's with the first team and he and he's putting a shift in and he's doing all the right things and there's not an issue with that, regardless if he's got him in his plans to play on a Saturday or not. Now, I think, again, earlier in the season, things were going okay. There was no real mention of Aiden coming back into the team and all of a sudden, over the last month where we haven't won a game, that's where everyone's like, oh, let's get Aiden back in. And we do need some creative spark in the team. And, and when Aiden's on his game, there's, he's probably in the top two or three players in League One of, of that role, isn't he? In that 10 role or just coming in and off the line. And that's what we've needed and missed. So, yeah, when, when I seen he was in the 23s last week and, and people were getting excited and thinking as he come in. And then when I seen Phil Parkinson's interview talking about him and was it Scott Wilson, I think, who, who asked him about Aiden, yeah. is, is he coming back in? And the way I read it then was he never mentioned, yes, we're looking at Aiden to get fit and to get, you know, we have plans for him to come back. It was all Aiden needs to get himself fit. So the way I read it was, as Tom says, they want to get him fit to get him sold in January. A fitter, Aiden McGeady, who's got a few 23s games under his belt, is easier to move on in January than, than an Aiden McGeady who's had an injury or who's been sat trained with the 18s or in the treatment room. Um, but going forward, I guess it's a case of whoever comes in. They might look at the squad and then you know wipe the slate clean from what's what's gone on with Aiden and, and Phil Parkinson, and they might want to bring him into the squad, change the formation, put Aiden in a, in a formation which suits him and the team, and get the best out of him. For, as I say, for the next thirty odd plus games of what we've got left of the season, and if Aiden can come in and contribute to that, great, and gets us promoted, and then assess what where he goes from there at the end of the season when his contract's up. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm a big McGeady fan. I, I'm totally with you on that. I think put him straight back in. For me, he's our best player. I think it's silly not to use him. I think I think Maguire's sometimes a better player when McGeady's in the side as well. Um, some people might disagree with me on that. But um, going back to the, the, the sacking, Tom, there's been a lot of blame at Parkinson and probably rightly so. Um, but just a, a different take. How much of a responsibility do you think the players need to take for the fact that we've been in League One for this long and we haven't got out of it and now the second manager's been sacked because of the failures on the pitch? Yeah, well, the players have to take some responsibility, but I've got to say, um, I actually think this squad of players is, is good. I think I think actually we've got a really good squad at the moment. I haven't always thought that. I think that we've got, um, I think we've got two good goalkeepers. I think that Bailey Wright and Jordan Willis, I wouldn't swap them for anyone. I, I don't, yeah. I mean, Danny can, can talk about this far better than I can, but I hate three at the back. I hate playing with three centre-backs. And if now, is it three at the back or five at the back top? Well, 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 there you go. <laughs> That's the thing. No, nobody knows. And I, I would imagine it's very confusing for centre backs who've who've grown up with in a, in a four four two or yeah. four three three, whatever. It's always four at the back, and then suddenly you get to professional football, and you're told to learn this new thing, which takes a long time to master. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like I like Flanagan, by the way, but but Bailey Wright and Jordan Willis are absolutely class. You only need those two, and and we've got um, we've got uh, good fullbacks. I, I like O'Neill and right back. I, I've never liked him in central midfield. I like him at right back. Conor McLaughlin's having a renaissance. Uh, Denver Hume's good at left back, and I've barely seen Kyle McFadden. But when I have seen him, he, he he looks like he's got a bit of pace, which we've always lacked. 
We've got plenty of players in central midfield. Um, we've got wide players, stroke number tens, and we've got uh, and we've got enough forwards as well. The only thing we actually lack is pace. So yeah, the players will, will obviously no none of the players will think that they are exempt from any of the blame for where we are. Obviously, um, but I do think I actually believe that our squad is good enough to go up, and I haven't. I haven't always thought that, but I do now. I think I think the squad is good. I think we are. We, I think we'll be an attractive prospect for a manager because it, there's the obvious things that we are. We we are a big club. I don't care what people take the mick out of us. Oh, you're in League One. No, we are a Premier League club in League One. All right. Uh, I'm sick of people saying, "Oh, you have to accept that you're in League One." We do accept we're in League One. We don't accept we're a League One club because we're not. So with all of that, it's. Managers will want the job, stadium, the training ground. But if they look at the squad, I also think they'll they'll be pleasantly surprised when they see how good the squad is. And when I look at the league table, I think any manager, any manager who's got anything uh, about them, will say, "Well, eight, eight at the moment, I think eight, eight and something like that. I can get them in the top two, no problem. That's the kind of attitude we need." And and that comes from a, a big person. Like like when Roy Keane took over, he he looked at everything and just went, "Yeah, I can get them up." And we're in a lot better position in League One than we were when he took when, when Keane took over in the Championship. So I think we're going to be a, an attractive prospect, despite the fact that we're as low as we've ever been. Yeah, I think when it comes to the team as well, like I, there's certain players I don't rate at all, and I think it's certainly not the best team I've seen in my lifetime. But then it's the opposite side of that is where we are. Like you say, in League One, this is a really good squad. Like it should be punching far higher than eighth. And it should be punching higher than potential playoffs. I mean, you've got players in there that I don't particularly rate, like Max Power being one of them. But he's won promotion from this league. There's tons of... Like when I do the review show every week, our preview show, sorry, a lot of fans say, oh, I'd love Max Power in my team. And I like, like Max Power. I like it. I, I listen. I listen to... To, well, all of, I listen to all of your podcasts. I listen to Roker Report. I listen to Wise Men Say. And Same. Max Power gets gets slated. I like Max Power. And I really liked it when we had a few injuries under Jack Ross. And Jack Ross played 4-2-3-1 and played Power number 10. Right? I like it when Power has got license to get forward. Him and, and I've been saying this all the time, him and Ledbetter have got the best strikes on them of like... Of all the players that we've had, they strike the ball so well, right? They need to shoot more. And that led better, okay, he has to play deep. If you let power go forward, the closer he gets to the goal, it, it, he needs to stop getting the ball on the edge of the area, then passing it out wide. He just needs to shoot because he can do it. But I really like Max Power. I'm completely in the minority there that, that I I really like him. I always um I always back him. I think he's a good player. With Max, I think for me, and I think I think Ashley summed this up quite well when we're at the match. I, I always get really annoyed at Max Power, but I think it's because I know he can be better than where he is currently. That that's always my so in a way I, I rate him, but the fact that he doesn't do it consistently is probably what frustrates me. But like like I say on paper, like you said, that this team at League One level, which manager shouldn't want to take it on? Um, you should. There's so many players for so many different positions. Yes, it looks like a poor squad because of how we've been and how they've performed. But if you get this team you know, firing a little bit more than the, maybe Ross and, and Parkinson has, it should, I think we're just we're a goal scorer, in my opinion. 
and, and pace away from a good side, which is not a bad place to be, really, is it? Um, great, Matt. Great, Matt. Lads, uh, you know, just going over there, and Tom's obviously touched on the squad, but from my point of view, people will say, oh, how much blame do you put on a manager? And I think you can say, as he as he put the brakes on him in terms of the way he wants us to play, or but I think I, I agree. You look at the squad, and I think there's more in the squad than what they're currently showing. Not everyone. I think we've had some good, consistent performers. I think Grant's been decent this year. You know, one or two others, Bailey Wright, and... The others, some of the others, I've got to start stepping up now and delivering as well. Now, whether a new manager comes in and can he get more of a tune out of the squad again, whether he tinkers the formation. Um, you know, Tom, Tom doesn't like the back three and I've been there myself. I was um, a few years ago, all pre-season worked on a back three. Back three, got 70 minutes into the first game of the season. We went back to a back four. <laughs> so all that <laughs> six weeks of pre-season out the window because the manager wasn't happy with it. And it, it is completely different. And I get... You know, I hear fans going, oh, we're a back five. You only become a back five when, you know, our neighbours down the road, Newcastle, I watch a lot of their games on Sky and they get penned in, they have 20% of the ball. That's when you become a back five because you can't get out of your own final third. Now, for us in League One, we do have a lot of the ball, which means that Denver can get high on the left and Luke 09 or Lyndon Gooch, whoever's on the other side, can get high. So it is a back three. And I think... Looking at Sheffield United last season, they prime example for me. They got promoted, went up to the Premier League and just carried on where they left off. They had the outside left centre-half uh, and the right centre-half, you know, Basham bombing forward and joining. Now, whether Tom Flanagan or Jordan Willis does it a little bit better on that side, they, they, you've got to step in with the ball and commit players. Um, but I do feel that most lads are more comfortable going with the back four. It's what you've been brought up on as a kid, really playing it, as you say, two centre-halves and your full-backs. And I think some managers can perhaps go in with the attitude. I want to play, for instance, if Phil Parkinson thinks, I want to play 3-5-2, so I'm going with that, and then I'm going to fit the players into the system. Or do you go with the attitude, what, look at what players I've got and pick a formation which suits them. And I think that's the way we've got to go for me looking forward. I think we're more suited to... Uh, I mean, I sit here and I come home sometimes from games. I'm sat in the week and I'm drawing formations out myself with the squad and looking at what players and what formations I would pick with the team we've got. And you mentioned, Graham, we haven't got a lot of pace in the squad. So where do we get that in? I think you've got Jack Diamond, Lyndon Gooch is, is pacey. You know, he's quite sharp off the mark. Elliot Hamilton's perhaps not as quick. And I'll play with Elliot down at Grimsby. And Elliot's more of a glider. He drifts past players. Um, he's not rapid, but he's got two good feet and he's creator, Aidan McGeady. So can we get these lads into the team and then and then work the formation out around them to give us a little bit more going forward, you know? Yeah, I, I think I think Pace and a goal scorer and, and Charlie White's obviously done all right this season, to be fair to him. I've actually quite liked Charlie, so maybe the goal scorer is, is sorted. Maybe if he continues the same sort of run of form. Um, so we'll get on to the, the next manager then. I'm looking at Skybet, as I promised. Um, currently, Gus Poyet is the favourite. Uh, I've openly said I wouldn't mind him. Danny Cowley second, Paul Cook, and then Nigel Pearson. Um, I've heard this morning that, I mean, I, I don't know anything more than anyone else, but I've heard that Pearson wants the job. I don't think any of us are surprised at that after he wanted it last time. But I'll come to you first then, Tom. Um, what type of manager do you think we need to take the club and, and who would you like the manager to be or who would you suggest? Big personality is the type of manager, but I'll, I'll give you a shortlist if you like. I'll give you I'll give you names. I can I can do that. Um, I've got a six six kind of uh, managers on the shortlist in, in no particular order. 
Um, I'll probably expect a, a bit of ridicule for some of them. The first person, oh, sorry, no, no particular order, so I'm going to start that again. Um, I would call Jermaine Defoe and ask if he would be willing to, I guess he'd have to retire. So there's certainly a, an issue in that sense, but I would, I would ask if Jermaine Defoe fancies it. I, when um, Jack Ross went, I wanted John Terry. I would ask John Terry if he wants it. I have been very impressed when I've been listening to Ashley Cole speak. Um, I would call Ashley Cole. And the reason for those three is they would come into the club and the rest of the players would say, wow. And they would instantly have their respect. Like you know, Roy Keane did. Yeah. Like Roy Keane did. So those three would be on there. Um, and uh, more obvious ones, I think that the um, Super Kevin Phillips and Nigel Pearson together, I think that could work. Uh, I think that they, I think that Pearson's got the experience. Super Kev knows the club. Um, sometimes Pearson in, in interviews and stuff doesn't come across particularly well, but I am I'm told that in person he's brilliant and players See. love him, players play for him. So Pearson and, and Phillips together in one, one way around or another. Um, the obvious one is, is Paul Cook, who I imagine would want the job. He's flavour of the month at the moment because he did very well and he's out of work. I don't think he'd be particularly expensive either, which if the current owners are staying in place would certainly be a, something that, that, that they would look to. And that, 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 that's fair enough. You've, you, can only, you can only spend what you can afford. And the sixth sort of managerial team on the list would be, and I, I'd, got, I'd be very surprised if this happens, um, but would be Kevin Ball and Grant Ledbetter together. Um, the, the players all love Kevin Ball, and it's obvious that they all love Grant Ledbetter. So uh, I, you could have those two together and, and Ledbetter could keep playing. And so, so there's six managerial teams there. But obviously, that is all on the basis that we've got no chance of big Sam Allardyce because he's. Uh, I, if I was a Manchester United fan and Solskjaer went, I would want Sam Allardyce. If Lampard went to Chelsea, I would want Sam Allardyce because I love him. I don't think we've got any chance of him. Um, so I suppose you can stick him down and have seven names there. But but um, but yeah, that would be my shortlist. Yeah, I, I, Sam, if Sam Allardyce even considered it, it's no secret that I absolutely love Sam Allardyce. Um, so do I. So just, do I. Just love the book. I think he's the best manager the Premier League has ever had, and I'm and I and and I am not. You, if you said that, but I'd said that, you wouldn't be misquoting me. I think he's the best manager the Premier League has ever had, and he has such an aura about himself as well. I mean, I've only been lucky enough to have the company even for 38 minutes via right, a Zoom call. But the minute his little head, well, I'm saying little head, big head, popped up on the Zoom call, I instantly was like. Okay, here we go. And it, like <laughs> he does do that. And talking about Defoe, I know, I know some of the, the media guys at, at Rangers and obviously um, naturally have asked about Jermaine Defoe. And they all say the same thing. When Jermaine Defoe walks into a room, he does just command respect. Everyone just goes, oh, you know, JD's in the room. Like, uh, total respect. So it might Listen sound to what the young players used to say. The young, the Magic, young players Soros. used to say how, how helpful he was. Yeah, they were, the, they were the two. They all used to say how how helpful he was towards the youngsters. He's a great example. They, they apparently, he trains harder than anybody else, despite the fact that he's, well, it's, it's, a, it's no coincidence that he's he's won so much more than everybody else who was in the Sunderland dressing room. 
uh, well, I suppose apart from O'Shea and Brown. Um, and he'd, he'd work hard and and was a great example to, to the youngsters. So it, it might not be the right time for him because he's got a real good chance of winning the Scottish Premiership. I understand that, but doesn't doesn't cost give much to give call. him a phone call and, and ask if he's if he's keen. I tell you, I'm absolutely gutted that you haven't mentioned Tom. Poyet. Lee Barry. Oh, okay. Well, he tell you what, imagine Paul Ledbetter and <laughs> Catamon as the oh, the no, trio. That, we could lose every game. I would never want them to go. <laughs> get John K get John Kay in there as well somewhere. There you go. Then all then all my heroes are there. <laughs> It'd be great, wouldn't it? It'd be, it might not work, but it would be a good laugh. Um, Danny, um, do you have a choice or do you have a, a short list? Yeah. No, so um, looking at the ones Tom's mentioned, I think um, John Terry, I mentioned John Terry actually last time because I think he's, he's sort of earned his stripes, you know, with Villa now. And um, I'm I'd sure quite, it, I quite like that. It's controversial, but I quite like that. No, I think he's earned his stripes and he's he's, um, he's probably looking at Frank Lampard. Frank obviously went to Derby, didn't he? Last he done well there. And I think he's ready, he'll probably feel now he's ready to, to take on a job. And I think it's a good starting point for John Terry if, if he was to come in. Actually, Paul maybe alongside him, as Tom mentioned as well. Um, great experience, you know, the game inside out. Um, and I think coming in at League One with the club like Sunderland, with the facilities and everything they've got around them would, would be good. Um, again, you could probably put Kevin Phillips in the similar bracket to that. Kevin, you know, he's done. He's been in the system now with Nigel Pearson, hasn't he? One or two clubs in Leicester and one or two others, Derby. So again, Kevin, I'm sure is itching to to get the chance at taking on the club. Um, and, and one that you didn't mention, and I mentioned it. Someone asked me last night, and I think Eddie Howe. Now, some people might think no chance, and I think looking at my from Eddie's point of view, he's, he maybe is hanging on for a good Championship club or, or a Premier League job. Um, but I think looking at the bigger picture, he, he knows the leagues. He's done it with Bournemouth. He brought them from League Two right the way through to the Premier League. Um, so, he, he, you know, he knows League One. He knows the Championship if he, if, if he looks at that. And take, looking at looking at where we are now, if you take that aside of it, yeah, you might think he, he won't want to come and manage in League One now. But we're not far off. He could see it as a little four or five year challenge project for him, whatever you want to call it, to getting us promoted. Then, if he does, if the new owners come in and they get, give him the funds to to go again in the championship, um, he's obviously got the style of play. I think people, you know, he likes to play the football the right way. If you like what Sunderland fans want to see, a bit more football. Um, so I just think he ticks a lot of boxes for me. But as I say, whether his location might be a, a bit of an issue. Obviously, he's, I think he's from down the south coast, isn't he? So. It's a bit of a trek, but you know, there's nothing. Roker, Roker seafront's just as nice as Sandbanks, isn't it? I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, mate. Yeah, I, I'd like to put him in the picture. Uh, Paul Cook, yeah, again, plays good football. Um, he looks quite a heart on your sleeve type of manager as well, doesn't he? Um, so, I don't know, mate. It's a, it's a bit of a lottery, isn't it? But yeah, there's a few names there. I'd certainly, certainly look at. Cook doesn't immediately get me excited, but there was. Obviously, we're talking six, seven months ago now, but um, Mark McNulty, when he was on the show, he played under him at Portsmouth. Yeah. And he, he was adamant yeah. that Paul Cook should have been the choice when Parkley, not when Parkley got the job, but at some point. I don't think he wanted to be that blunt, but I would assume he meant when the job was available. If it's not Jack Ross, Paul Cook would have been ideal. He said he just would be perfect for the club. And he doesn't, he doesn't get me excited. He doesn't get me unexcited. I, I can't really explain it, but for you know, me... When, when we... 
obviously about two years or three years ago, was it when I, when I played for Grimsby? We played <clears> obviously Portsmouth were in League Two, and I think he's the gaffer then. And yeah, we, we played him at Fratton Park, and I think we had about fifteen percent of the ball that night. They just popped us off the pitch, you know. Um, so I, I guess he's good at working with lower league players and getting the best out of them. I, I can touch on as well. When, when we mentioned budget before and getting the best players, I think Luton have, have done it. I think Luton have passed their way out of the, the lower leagues. Accrington Stanley did it in, in League Two. Um, so again, you know, you can go on about, oh, you need the big money and the spend on the big players. But if you get the right manager in who can work with the lesser players and get a system into them and, and they take to that system, it, it can work as well, you know. The, the big favourite being Poirier. What? Neither of us mentioned him, did we? No, and I, I, I said yesterday I'd like Gus, but I, I've got a lot of affection from. But, but Tom, do you think Gus would be a risk? I, I don't think it's a risk at all. And what I like about Gus Poyet is, again, when the, the it's something that the fans like is this identity. He does have a, a style of play and an identity, so that would go down well. We we loved him before, um, and what I liked about him was that he wanted to control the whole club. He wanted he didn't just wasn't just interested in the first team, he wanted the under-18s and the reserves, under-23s, they wanted them all playing the same way. And he he cared about the whole club. So that, to me, would be a positive. The only thing with Poy, I mean, I would I would not be disappointed whatsoever if he if he got the job. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, if I, if I, I could have had a longer shortlist there and he would have been on it. Um, but since Sunderland, it hasn't worked out, which is strange because I always thought Sunderland would be his kind of springboard to bigger and better things. Yeah, me too. It hasn't worked out that way. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be disappointed with him coming back at all. Um, he's just not in my top six, I suppose. That's all. He wa- he wants a project as well, doesn't he? I mean, it was a few months ago. Now he was on our podcast, but he's been on Rogue Report since. He's been on Speak Sunderland since, and I think he's pretty much reiterated what he said on the podcast with myself that like he, he wants a project. Um, I don't think he'd come in under Stuart Donald. I think if there was no takeover on the horizon, I think there'd be no chance of that happening. Um, but for, for me, I'd like to see him come back. And there's, I can give, I won't go on about it, but there's a few examples. People say don't go back, but there's loads of examples of managers that have gone back and done perfectly well. Neil Lennon is not one of them, if any Celtic fans are listening. Um, but but Danny then, I suppose, just to kind of like end on it, who, who do you think is going to get the job? If you had to put 100 quid on someone, not that you would bet as a footballer. I'm not betting, I'm not <laughs> um, oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. And again, neither of us mentioned Danny Cowley, really, did we? And he's he's right up there as well, isn't he? So um, second favorite. I think yeah. They're all all the favourites are all completely different types of managers as well, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I wish Roy Keane was there. God, I wish Roy Keane was there. Tom, can you sort anything out with Roy Keane just to convince him? <laughs> yeah. You're asking the wrong Sky Sports presenter to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> to speak to Roy Keane when the news broke, Dave Jones was on air on air with Roy Keane. I would have loved to have just been the floor manager at the, at the time to hear what they were saying. Yeah, he needs to he needs to have a word in his ear. I think there. You as well, Danny. Do you still speak to Keane? Uh, I haven't. Uh, no, not I don't think since he left. I've seen. I might have seen him once since. I'm, I'm sure I have. Yeah. But, Maybe uh, need to get that sorted out. Tom, if you can get his number, Danny, you give him a call. Tell him the project's available and ready. Ella Short's gone. It's all good to go. <laughs> We can do it again. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. So if I was betting, who would I go for? I, I don't know, Graham. It's a good question. I think 
I'm just going to have to sit, sit on the fence, maybe. As you say, Gus again, um, he's been here before, hasn't he? And he's you know football style lower league with Brighton. I think he's done well there in the past. So yeah, um, no, I think Nigel Nigel Pearson and, and Kevin Phillips is probably the one that most of the fans want to see coming in at the minute. Yeah, yeah, I think if I was the betting man, I'd, I'd actually have money on Gus. I don't know why. I just have a gut feeling, but. But Tom, just before we finish, where's your money going? Not that you're a betting man, but if you were to go on Skybet, where would your money go? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not a betting man at all. Um, if it's the if it's still the current owners, the money would be on Paul Cook because it's yeah. it's the obvious <clears> one. Um, with new owners, we have no idea what they're thinking. Um, so I would say, if it's new owners, then I think the the most Realistic one would be if they want to get the fans on side, it would probably be um, Pearson with Phillips. Yeah. Um, but current owners would almost certainly be um, be Paul Cook. Yeah. Perfect. Lads, thanks for coming on. Thanks for giving me your time and your thoughts. Um, it's never boring with Sunderland. I hadn't planned on doing this podcast. I planned on just talking about everyday football, but I think it'd be wrong to, to not discuss it. But thanks for popping on, lads. I hope you enjoyed your first appearance and it's the first of many. Yeah. No problem, Greg. Had a great time. Thank you. Thank you very much. 